In the last message, we saw how false teachers came into the church of Thessalonica. Immediately after Paul left, these false teachers came into the church of Thessalonica to destabilize the church. He wanted to shake them up. The devil always wanted to destabilize the church of Jesus, always. And so after condemning this false teaching, after correcting this troubling falsehood, after exposing the wickedness of these false teachers, the Apostle Paul immediately goes on to emphasize the absolute necessity of having biblical stability. Biblical what? Question. (laughs) How can we have stability in these turbulent times that we're living in? The first thing the Apostle Paul does here is that he assures them of his prayer for them. And don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate praying for one another. He is praying specifically for their spiritual stability. He is praying for them to take a stand, to take a firm stand on biblical teaching. Now, beloved, in times of lawlessness, anarchy, terror, and unrestrained evil, believers will need God's supernatural strength more than ever. They need God-given stability in order to stand firm and look up. So look at verse 13 with me, please. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved of the Lord. Now, don't miss this, okay? Why ought he pray to God for them? Because they're very nice people. Because they are tolerant and affirming of alternate lifestyles. Because they are fitting very well with their pagan neighbors. Because they have mastered the art of compromise. Go along to get along. No. 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 He prayed for them. Because God, from the very beginning, chose them and saved them through the sanctifying work of the Spirit through believing the truth. Are you with me? Make no mistake about it. The world is going to applaud any and everyone who is going to compromise. Any and everyone who compromise their faith just a little bit. Everyone who waters down the gospel so it can be palatable for the non-believers. But Jesus will reward you if you hold fast in the truth of the gospel. God will protect you through the storms. God will guide you through the turbulence times of persecution. God will steady you and stabilize you during the time of testing. God will be your fortress God will be your strong tower when the man of lawlessness is revealed. In this passage, you read how Paul is making a contrast between the redeemed and the unredeemed. The redeemed and the unredeemed. The unredeemed are those who love sin and they hate the truth. And they're going to be the ones who are going to immediately be following the Antichrist when he shows his ugly head. As far as the redeemed are concerned, who hold fast unto the truth, they will share Christ's glory. Question, 
When did God choose you? When did God call you? Was it the first time you realized that you're a sinner? No. He called you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Before the foundation of the world. He looked down through history and he saw you before history began. In Ephesians 1.4, it tells us that for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And all of God's people say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, just think about this for a long time. And I, and I meditate on this on a regular basis because I'm telling you, nothing going to pull you out of whatever circumstances you're in and lift you up to the portals of heaven, like realizing that He loved you, He knew you, and He called you before history began. Let me ask you this. Why would I want to offend or disappoint such divine, eternal love? How can I even contemplate that? Beloved, Christianity is not a faith of regulations. Here's do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. No, 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 no. Our faith is built on love, loving the one who loved us first. Why do we hate sin? Because we love Jesus. Why do we hate evil? Because we love God's church. Why we hate lying is because we love the truth. Why do we hate deception? It's because we love people. But above all, we love Him who loved us before all of the creation began. Don't ever forget, God's grace toward you is a reflection of who He is. And He reaches down to us when our lives were hopelessly damaged by sin— when our hearts were stained and unfit for His holy purpose. And He cleans our stains, and He heals our spirits, and He invests His life in us, and He values us and makes us valuable to Himself. His sovereign loving and caring and calling and choosing us should do one vitally important thing, and that's demolish our pride. The sovereign choice ensures that He and He alone gets all of the credit for our salvation, that He and He alone is exalted, that He and He alone is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. For it is His love and holiness that made our lives stable, secure. Look at verse 14. And He brought you to Himself through the preaching of the gospel. One of the great privileges, next to my salvation, next to my salvation, one of the great privileges is to be an instrument. Sometimes I play a small role, sometimes a bigger role, but just being an instrument of bringing others to Christ. Verse 15, stand firm and hold on to this teaching which Paul already passed on to them from Jesus. You see, he learned it from Jesus. He passed it on to them. So another question. Why should they stand firm? So that they 
might not only be stable, but they must pass the stability to others. Sure, I've got a platform, so I'm passing it to many others, but you have to pass it to others. If you're home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you can pass the stability and encourage one another. Don't miss verses 16 and 17. It's very important. God's loving, sovereign choice of you should banish. I said, should banish your pride. Something else should banish. And that's fear, anxiety, and worry out of your life. Listen to me. Let Satan do his worst. Let the man of lawlessness be revealed. Let all of hell break loose. (laughs) We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will not be intimidated. We will stand firm, confident in the confidence that we are held in the palms of His hands, that we are cradled in His arms, Then He who touches us touches the apple of His eye. Now, beloved, listen to me. There is no stability or security in our circumstances. There is no stability or security in politics and politicians. There is no stability or security in the economy. There is no stability or security in people. Oh, but our true security and stability found only in God's sovereign choice. Today, so many of these motivational preachers, bless their hearts, for that's all they are. because of their empty affirmation. It's empty. If you believe in yourself, you can do it. If you dream it, you can achieve it. If life hands you lemon, make lemonade. Huh? You know what the problem with these slogans? The focus is you, 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 you. No wonder I met so many of their followers who are discouraged, despondent, and defeated. If the foundation of your confidence is on you, you are building on the shifting sand. But if your confidence and the foundation on the power and the might of the one who loved you, redeemed you, chose you, knew you before the foundation of the earth, then you are building on a solid rock, the rock of ages. What more evidence does anyone need more than Christ's life, Christ's teaching, Christ's promises, Christ's miraculous work, Christ's identity as the only Son of God, Christ's redeeming grace on the cross, Christ's resurrection on the third day, Christ's ascension to heaven, Christ soon coming back to judge the world. Beloved, this is all the stability I need. It's all the stability I need in life. In fact, if you break the Word down, it's the ability to stand. The ability to stand. And who gives you that ability? The one who chose you. Have the ability to stand when everyone else is crumbling. They're crumbling. How do I know that? How do I do that? Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. By having—this is a summary— a two-way conversation, constantly, constantly, two-way communication with my Redeemer, 
A summary of those five verses of chapter 3 is, pray for me as I pray for you. <laughs> One of the things that moves me deeply, so deeply that I can't even express it, is when I'm traveling different parts of the world, inevitably somebody will come out and say, you know, some time ago, God laid you on my heart to pray for you and your ministry and your family every single day. I cannot verbalize to you the impact of those words of encouragement to me. Paul, listen to me, he was experienced missionary. He was experienced evangelist. He was experienced preacher. He was experienced strategist. And yet, he saw in his true effectiveness. His true effectiveness for Christ was not rooted in any human trait, ability, or cleverness. He saw his true effectiveness for Christ as a result of a total confidence in the power of Jesus who lived in him and in the prayers of the saints. Beloved, there's nothing wrong with praying and asking God for things. Nothing wrong. I hope you don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I'm facing a crisis and I need you. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, our loved ones need your help. There's nothing wrong with saying, my business needs your direction. Nothing wrong with that. Are you with me? But if this is the sum total of your prayer in your prayer life, you have stunted your spiritual growth. You may be seven foot tall, but you've stunted your spiritual growth. And that's why Jesus gives us the priority for praying. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, here's how you should pray. This is how your priority in prayer should be. Seek first, what? Your needs, your desires, your wish list, <laughs> your dreams. No! Seek first the kingdom his kingdom, and His righteousness, and all of these things. What are these things? Your needs. My needs. They're going to be met. They're going to be provided even before you ask, because He already knows them. Your needs, your dreams, and your desires will be met before you even realize that you need these things. When your focus is His kingdom, is His righteousness, is His glory, and the honor of His name. Believe it or not, Satan knows that this type of prayer is your secret to power. Power with God. And that is why he does all he can to stop you, to hinder you from praying as Jesus asked us to pray. Satan knows that this type of intimacy with God is your secret to victory, and that is why he does everything to disrupt your time of intimacy with God. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul asked the believers in Thessalonica to pray for him. To do what? So that he might be healthy, wealthy, and happy? No. The Word of God be preached without hindrance. He said, pray that we may be delivered from wickedness and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, beloved, Paul was not necessarily asking for his own safety, for his own protection, because he knew he's safe as long as God wants him here. But for the gospel advancement, 
for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 3, again, God is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Of course, all His lies. He will. He will protect you. Verse 4, we are confident of this. Of what? In God's promises. We are confident in God's promise, and that's why we rejoice in the faithfulness of God to keep us steady, to stabilize us when the waves are too high. He keeps us steady when the world is assailing us. He keeps us steady when we trust in His faithfulness to provide a way of escape, to shield us from the scorching heat of sin and Satan, to ensure that His Word will not come back empty. He is faithful, and He'll keep us from stumbling. I want to conclude by telling you a true historic story. It's about a great man, great man of God, who lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. No, he was not a preacher. He was not a theologian. He was not an evangelist. He was not a Bible teacher. He was not a pastor. He was not a church at all. Are you ready for this? He was a politician. <laughs> He's a politician, a member of the British Parliament. His name is William Wilberforce. He lived between 1759 and 1833. Just keep that date in mind. 1759 1833. Many people know him as the man who single-handedly ended up the horror of slave trading in the British Empire. But most people do not know how many years he persevered in his God-honoring endeavor. One day, he was so discouraged, so deflated, so defeated, and he was ready to give up. And then that morning, he opened his Bible then a piece of paper falls on the ground. So he picks it up, and he starts reading it. And it was a letter that was written decades early by evangelist John Wesley to William. Think about this. When it arrived, he had read it, but he forgot about it and put it in his Bible until that day when he was about to give up. It falls down. He picks it up. And these with the very last words that John Wesley ever wrote longhand. The very last words. In fact, after writing those words, six days later he died. And the letter was dated February 24th, 1791. February 24th, 1791. Exactly six days later, John Wesley died. I want to read to you what was in that letter that inspired William Wilberforce to keep on going? Because I don't want to miss him out. Of course, it's old English. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing the execrable villainy of slavery, which is a scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and the devils. But if God be for you, 
Say that with me. But if who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till even American slavery shall vanish before it. That He who has guided you from youth up may continue to strengthen you in this and all things is prayer. Dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. While all these words were written in 1791, it was not until 1833, I hope you're remembering those dates, that Parliament finally passed the Slavery Abolition Act and ended slave trading throughout the British Empire. Here's something else that is amazing to me. Wilberforce lived to see the accomplishment of his God-given dream, God-given purpose, God-given vision for his life. But he died three days later after hearing that Parliament passed the act. Get this. When he started to the time of that act passed Parliament, it was 46 years before he accomplished God's purpose in his life. Think of with me about these words of John Wesley that inspired and motivated Wilberforce to keep on standing firm. These are important words for your life and for my life. If God be with you, who can be against you? Let's say that together. If God be with you, who can be against you? Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org.